This is the Working Drummer Podcast, serving up perspectives, experiences, and stories from ground-level working pros. Advice, tips, and secrets on how to build a career in the music business. Hey everyone, this is Zach Albetta, and welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. If I sound a little different than I usually do on the intros, it's because I left my usual microphone in Kansas City, where I did the interview you're about to hear with Gogo Ray. Gogo has been in KC since the early 90s and has been in all of the city's musical circles at one point or another. From jazz and fusion to rock and blues to experimental music, Gogo has made many friends on many scenes and is highly regarded in all of them. Most recently, he ended his six-year tenure as the touring drummer for blues guitarist and singer Samantha Fish. Before we get into that, we want you to know that we've just launched a Patreon campaign for Working Drummer Podcast at patreon.com slash working drummer. This allows you, the listener, to contribute a little money each month to help support the podcast if you see fit. You can donate as much or as little as you feel comfortable with, and we have some great incentives for different levels of donation including some cool swag, t-shirts and stickers featuring our new logo, access to bonus content on our website, free video lessons with one of our past guests such as Ben Caesar, Wes Little, or Carter McLean, or the chance to be interviewed and featured on a Working Drummer Podcast episode. Everyone who donates any amount in the month of June will be entered to win a great package from Innovative Percussion, which includes 18 pairs of sticks, two pairs of bundles rods, two Chris McHugh signature bass drum beaters, and a huge deluxe stick bag. So a big thank you to Innovative Percussion and to those past guests offering lessons for helping us out with this, and a big thank you in advance to you for your support. So where do you go to find a treasure trove of information about vintage drums, custom drums, and legendary drummers? NotSoModernDrummer.com Since 1988, Not So Modern Drummer is an institution dedicated to researching and documenting the history of modern drums, the art of drum building, and the legendary drummers who play them. The writers and contributors are some of the top vintage and custom drum experts from around the world. Not So Modern Drummer serves as an online gathering place and marketplace for the worldwide community of drummers who buy and sell, collect, preserve, and play these instruments. It also hosts drum-related events that are attended by drummers from all over the world. This website is easy and fun to explore, and the monthly digital magazine subscription is free. So check out NotSoModernDrummer.com. So this was a great talk I had with Gogo Ray. We covered a lot of Kansas City history, a lot of his personal history, and uh, some honest talk about how and why gigs end and what comes next. So let's get to it. So I know you've been in Kansas City forever, but I don't know, did you grow up here? Are you from here? We'll take it to the back, man. We'll go way back. <laughs> Born and raised in Dallas, Texas. Okay. Yeah. That's where it all starts. Gotcha. And so were, were you in a musical family in Dallas? What, like, You know, that, that's, I get that a lot, man. Here, here's the funny thing about it. Um, what I can remember, my mom could carry a tune. Uh-huh. For some reason, my dad could do a press roll on a snare drum. Nothing else. <laughs> and I'm like, where did that come from? Yeah, See, right. He was a mechanic. That was his thing. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, that was, that was crazy. My oldest brother, he doesn't play anything, 
and he lives in Austin right now. He just knows all the cats. Uh-huh. He hangs with all the cool musicians in Austin. Yeah, when, yeah in Austin or when like he also used to live in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And man, he would just catch all type of shows. And you know, he's a hardcore jazz guy, and yeah. you know, he loves the Motown stuff. He would meet those cats. And I'm like, how do you just get backstage? How do you just run into these people? And they all stay in contact with him. Yeah, so yeah. that's his connection. Then my other brother, I remember him playing guitar. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know how much time he really put into it, but I remember him playing guitar. Mm-hmm. So I try to play on his guitar every now and then. And then my sister, she she played clarinet. You got a big family. Yeah, how about that? She played clarinet and she played organ. Then okay. she stopped doing both. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So... So did like were you playing? Did you start playing drums at the same time? All your siblings are are getting into all. The oh drums? no 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 no! I, I I like to consider myself an oops baby because they're <laughs> way older, man. Right, right. <laughs> but the thing was, you know, there was always music. Mm-hmm. Whatever the flavor was yeah. of the day, there was always music playing, and a big treat was to hang with them on the weekends late at night. Because back then, you had television shows that televised live bands. Right. Uh, Don Kirshner's Rock Concert. Yeah. Uh, ABC's In Concert. Then, uh-huh. of course, you had Midnight Special. Right. So, I'm probably dating myself. I'm, well, I was going to ask. Yeah, like I'm you, 49. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm 49 years old. So, so that, we're talking, I got here in 68, March of 68. Mm-hmm. and. Man, uh, I remember the 70s in a special way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice. So it was a treat to hang with him. And, you know, you see these bands. I mean, you see the people up front doing their thing. But the guy in the back in continuous motion. Yeah. Yeah. That that reached out to me, you know. Yeah. Pounding things, hitting things con- consistently. Yeah, well, like with permission. Right, there you go. Right, right. So I didn't have a drum kit at, at an early age. So you know, you look at a bean bag. Well, there's the kick drum. Yeah. You get the best sounding pots and pans. You know, that's right. You know, lids are your cymbals. Uh-huh. And you know, and I had these two little metal pieces from an erector set. That's what they used to call them back then, the little metal sets. Yeah. And I would stack them on something. That's my set of hats. I mean, I couldn't open and close them, but wow. I, yeah. And man, you get those little cardboard ends off the um, coat hangers and unlimited sticks. Now, of course, the parents couldn't hang up stuff because of me. And that was it, man. I would just beat things and. Wow. Yeah. Self starter. Yeah, that started it right there. Yeah. 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 And so when did it when did it become more serious? When was it like uh fourth grade, I was allowed to be in the uh school band. Okay. But the teacher had a lot of drummers already. So yeah. they're trying to say, Oh, well, you should play sax. It's like, no man. <laughs> I wanna play the drums. Yeah. So they let me in. I was the last one to get in. And that was September of 1977. Okay. I'm a beginner, yeah. so and strictly traditional grip back then. Yeah, that was yeah. that's all they cared about. <clears throat> so I worked it out, um, learned a few rudiments, learning how to read music, yeah. and I got pretty good enough to be in the um, Christmas show nice. <laughs> in December. Nice. And that's playing with the advanced band, meaning. Okay, you get to hang with the sixth and fifth graders, right? Yeah. I was just, I was the same way. Like at my, I don't know if elementary schools even have band programs anymore. It seems like it's going away. At mine, like I, they had a, they had band for fifth and sixth graders, right? But when I was like, I started lessons when I was in third grade. Wow. 
and and I went to them when I was in fourth grade. I was like, I've been doing this for a year. I can read. I can play. Like, let me in the band. And they were fine. Good. <laughs> um, so uh, so on to on to junior high school and high school. Man, I was once I got my first snare drum. That was it. Yeah. So think about your you're playing throughout the school year. Now it's summertime. There's a lot of summer band programs. At right. least there were back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had to be a part of that. Yep. I remember and those. man, let's just ride that from fourth grade through my senior year. I had to be a part of it all. Yeah. Yeah. So you did like jazz band, drum line. Jazz band, drum line, orchestra. Yeah. Yeah. I was there, you know, solo ensembles. Right. Yeah. I was just eating it up. So were you kind of just immersed in in like school music or were you you putting bands together with buddies and... and I wasn't really... I wasn't jamming with people, but here's the thing. Um, I was that kid, (laughs) you know, you get a... A school arrangement of a popular tune. Yeah. Like, let's say Chameleon. Right. But they kind of dumb it down. Yes. And luckily I heard the original. And I was a kid. <laughs> Why can't we play it like that? <laughs> I was that kid. Yeah. And they were like, well, it's just not written that way. Yeah, but that's the ori- that's the original recording. That's, that's how we should play it. Mm-hmm. That's hip. Yeah. And, I, yeah, I was that kid. Right. So. I was trying to take things from the outside that I heard and try to bring it into the school. Yeah. And there was a few people where we could kind of get a groove going. But, you know, I'm like, man, well, have you, did you hear this version? Did you check this out? Yeah. This is how it really goes. Yeah. So that didn't really stick in high school. It right. was when I left high school a semester early and went straight into a junior college. Man, it's like the world of drumming opened up. Huh. I met a lot of cats that could play instruments really well. At and, the junior college. Yeah, and they knew music. Right. Yeah, they knew, like, more versions of stuff than I did. I was mm-hmm. like, well, this is where I need to be. Yeah. So now the bands come along and, you know, start jamming. Even though I did get my um, I did get my first gig at 17 with a funk soul R&B band. Cool. Yeah, only because I could play with, um, <laughs> it was a, of course, a pre-recorded track, but it was coming through a giant PA speaker aimed at me. I could lock into it way before eight years, right? Yeah, yeah. I could lock into it. So, so that that was abandoned Dallas. Just yeah, like it was abandoned Dallas. Man. Band. That was like January '87. Okay, no, January '86. Okay, yeah. So, it, like, as a young as a young drummer, did did kind of the musical legacy of of Texas. Uh, imprint itself on you in any way? It, it did. It actually did because um, I was surrounded by a lot of great players that I didn't know at the time uh-huh. until I got a little older. And yeah, yeah, my eyes just started opening. Who were the wild. cats? Oh man, you got to remember um, Matt Chamberlain was there. Right. Earl Harvin was there. Uh-huh. This cat named Jim White, who I think he's teaching somewhere at a college in Colorado. Mm-hmm. You know, just those cats hanging around doing wonderful things. Man. Yeah, Yeah, uh, Mitch Marine was another cat. Yeah, and, um, you know, once I left my commercial world and got into somewhat like a, let's say, freedom of expression world. Right. Yeah. Well, well, that's another (laughs) thing. Non-commercial cats, man. Right. And, you know, Mike Dillon. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to get there. Okay. Um, Yeah. But so, like, you you started out in Dallas playing, like, more corporate gigs, more mainstream. 
Commercial music? No, like? yeah, more mainstream commercial music. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing, because that was the thing to do. Right. Yeah. Right. And at this point, are you are you going after it? Like, I want to play drums for a living? I mean, yeah, I want to do this. Yeah. Yeah, I want to do this. Even though I was still, you know, going to school. Right. Uh, Cedar Valley Junior College, and I transferred to the University of North Texas. You, you went know, to North Texas? I went there for a moment, man. Okay. I was there, yeah. <laughs> I, did, I didn't stay four years, yeah. but I was a there long of, enough to meet some cats. A man. lot of people went there for a moment. Yeah. It's not, it's not everybody's bag. Right, like, right. You know, some there's a certain type of person that really thrives there, um, but a lot of people just, you know, get into that environment and they're like, this this isn't for me. Right. I, thought, I talked with Jan Faircloth about that. There you go. Like, he had yeah. a... He had a kind of a drive-by with North Texas, and he was like, nah, no. <laughs> <laughs> Man, back then, it you know, it was a cool experience. You know, you had to have your mental game correct. Yeah. But um, I think the thing that got me was, like, just going by the practice areas. Yeah. And, like, oh, what is this cat doing? What's this cat doing? And how can I get to that? Right, right. You know, I want to do that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I spent some time there. I did pretty <laughs> – this is funny. I did very well in piano. I don't know how that happened because, you know, <laughs> and I'm Mr. Staccato. Gang, gang, no legato there. Yeah, yeah. And I, I was able to study with a couple of cool teachers. And, mm-hmm. you know, at that point, I've experienced a lot of cool bands and, you know, being in bands. And I just said, okay, I can read music. That's not an issue. I mean, I did my drum set audition with Ed Sof, mm-hmm. did my main audition with Run Fink, and mm-hmm. Run sent me to Ed, which everyone says, oh, that's a good thing, because if you can't kick it with Run, you're not going to Ed. Right. So yeah. I, I felt good about that. I can read music. That's not a problem. Covered a lot of styles. Mm-hmm. And it was time, like, okay, it's time to really get this thing going. Yeah. You know, who's the one band that's doing something? And I found that band, and... um that was a lot of fun, and then that band started opening for Billy Goat, Mike's okay. old band. Mike Dillon's old yeah, band. Yeah, okay. right. Yeah. And then, you know, one day, I got a call. <laughs> so that's how you cross paths with That's Mike how I Dillon. cross paths. Now, where does Mike Dillon live? Is he still in New Orleans? He's in New Orleans, man. He's holding he's holding court there. He's okay, loving it. Was he ever full-time in Kansas City? He was. Okay. Yeah. And that was before my time. Right. I moved here in 03. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I was here from 03 to 2010. Okay. And I, I just feel like an idiot that we never crossed paths before then. You and Mike uh-huh. would have made mu- wonderful music together. No, I'm saying me and you. Oh, me and you. Because okay, yeah. Like, I think we'd run into each other at the drum shop once in a while. Right. But, like, I, I should have gone to see you play. I never did. Uh, you know, like because I heard your name all over the place. I was but I was, a lot, man. I was in I was in the jazz bubble, right? Uh, you know, which was not uh, UMKC's fault. That was my own bubble <laughs> that I just put around myself. Um, but uh, okay, so uh, at the at the time, Mike Dillon calls you, right? Is he in Kansas City? He's is in he? Kansas City. This is April nineteen ninety four, and that's what brought you to Kansas City, right? He said, "Hey, man, uh, like what you do. Uh, want you to join the band." One stipulation, you got to move to Kansas City. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. Because cool. Billy Goat was a band I was checking out, mm-hmm. like, in the late, oh, the late, well, yeah, late 80s, early 90s. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, I checked out Mike Dillon in the band before Billy Goat, Ten Hands. Mm-hmm. And that's where, you know, I saw Earl. Right, okay. And, you know, that whole thing, you know, watching those two, 
forget commercial music. Yeah. It's like, what's happening here, man? <laughs> yeah. And so he, tell, tell people a little bit about who Mike Dillon is, the kinds of projects that he's done over the oh, years. Oh, wow. Right. The place he's held in, in kind of, you'd say experimental music, right? Experimental music, yeah. yeah. He's uh, the rock and roll percussionist. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's that kind of guy. But, you know, he can play jazz vibes. Right. He reads like a mother, man. Uh-huh. He's cool, but... He learned all this percussion stuff authentically. He, right. he knows the real patterns. He knows the real fields. Mm-hmm. He's just this guy of information. I consider playing with him like going to college. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And if you get to play more years with him, then you're working on your master's degree. <laughs> yeah. He's just a cat full of knowledge, man. He can flat out play. Yeah. I mean, he's doing the Ricky Lee Jones gig right now. I think that's like a trio style. Uh-huh. He was with uh, Ani DeFranco. You know, he led his own band, uh, Billy Goat, Harry Apes, Butt Moving Experience, you know. <laughs> yeah. It was cool, man. Yeah, yeah. And that's where he really pushed vibraphone up front mm-hmm. with um, all types of effects. Right. Effect pedals. He got real good at that. Yeah, yeah. You know, and yeah, man, he's just this cat, man. He's a mad genius and... I love him and respect him for that. Yeah. Yeah. And so what was what was the band that he brought you to Kansas City? It was for? Billy Goat. Billy Goat, yeah. okay. That would probably be his commercial band if you want to call something commercial. As commercial as Mike it, Dillon gets. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. But it was cool tunes, man. He mm-hmm. just had a way of writing and And he yeah. sings too, right? He sings. Like, you know, he sings and he likes to do these rap chants, man. Right. Yeah, and that's that's his thing. Okay. You know. Cool. That's it. And, and you know, and he he always embraces punk rock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think in his world, everything needs a little bit of punk rock. Yeah, whether it's a jazz thing, a, a go go thing, you know, an R and B thing, right? Rock thing. He he wants to inject a little bit of punk rock in there. That's you know, that's that's him. Yeah. So that's amazing. You got a character like that. He just really embraces everything. He can blend into whatever. Right. He and he reminds me a little bit. Colonel Bruce is on everybody's mind. There you go. He reminds me of Colonel Bruce because, like, you talk about Mike Dillon needs a little bit of punk rock and everything. Mm -hmm. Colonel Bruce talked about the threat of vomit. Right, because <laughs> right. he had the five T's. Darren Stan- Stanley told me it was the the five T's are uh, tone, touch. I'm going to screw it up, but I think it's tone, touch, tempo, time, and the threat of vomit. And and the the threat of vomit is like the unknown, right? The unexpected, right. like just being open to whatever can happen on stage, musically or otherwise. And just so I see that in in Mike Dillon stuff. Just, He's very open on stage, man. Yeah, yeah he will explore. You know, when I played with him, yeah, there was a set form. Right. But at any given moment, he could just change lanes on you and you just go with it. Yeah. Yeah. And I wondered if, if his stuff was, was there more improvised stuff or more through composed stuff? Um, It's hard to say. I mean, he he has songs. Like, mm-hmm. you know, this is the intro. This is what would be the verse. This is the bridge. Here's a chorus. And here's how we end. Mm-hmm. You know, and here's a solo section. I mean... It's out there, but he could. It's not played the same way every night. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He could change things up. So improving, man. That's ah. So when he, you he moved, lives on that. When you moved to Kansas City and started playing with him, like what were the what were the musical resources you had to draw on to to bring to the drums? I had well, of course, you you study the pre recorded works uh-huh. of Billy Goat, which um, that's a nice drum camp. I mean, you have. You know, the CD that Earl Harvin was on. You have a CD that Steve Rome was on. 
And then like the very first release, um, you have uh, drumming duties by Matt Chamberlain mm-hmm. and then this guy named uh, Big Al. And you had to listen to all that. But listening to all that, you're like, well, is this a rock band? Is this a funk band? Right. I mean, that's kind yeah. of my question. Like, yeah. what what from your background, what from your drumming background did you bring to, to Mike's thing? Like, you're listening to all of Mike's stuff. Right. What's going through your head about, like, oh, I can I can kind of do this thing that I did in the funk band or this thing that I studied at North Texas. Like, what was the stuff you drew Man, out of yourself? Man, just um, for me, if it's a funk tune, make it funky as possible. Yeah. If it's a rock tune, really slam it, high energy. Uh-huh. It's those kind of elements. So, like, responding to the spirit of yeah. the song. Right, right. And, being in the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Being in the moment. But yet, as a drummer, you have to pay attention to them because you can have high energy at a loud level, still keep the high energy, but now it's at a very low volume. Yeah. So now your basics come in. Right. Yeah. Right, yeah. Pianissimo, forte. Back to that y'all. fourth grade traditional. Exactly. Rudiment. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, uh, there was a lot of, what was cool, there was a lot of styles I never really played. Like, I never played a cumbia before. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I didn't know it was called a cumbia. I always heard it on television. Right. And then he's like, yeah, man, this is a cumbia. A punk rock cumbia. <laughs> so, okay, so this is the groove, but now how do I make it punk? And... So the hats are kind of sizzly now, kind of sloppy hats. Uh And there's more um, energy into it, you know, more volume. You're just not sitting in the back. Right. Yeah. Right, right. So it was those little elements, man. He, He would combine things. And when you got to Kansas City, was it was it like all Billy Goat all the time, or were you kind of exploring the what what else was going on? It in was Kansas City? all Billy Goat all the time. For how long? That was about a little over three years. Okay. Yeah. Because um, you know we we lived here and man when it was time to, to tour we stayed on the road right like crazy about two hundred fifty shows a year <sighs> yeah we stayed on the road you just come back here to do laundry and pay bills man. yeah maybe hang a bit right. you know rehearse a bit yeah and other than that it was music how and when did you kind of get to know Kansas City and and what was going on here um. You know, a little bit of the off time from the band would allow me to see certain things. And, you know, this city was so opening, man. I met a lot of people when I moved here. So yeah. it's like, when, you, when you're in town, we'll show you some things. Right. So, you know, you get the whole Westport tour. Then you get the Plaza tour. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, oh, man, let me take you up North Kansas City. I'm like, North Kansas City? Okay. You check that out. Yeah. Yeah. And it just started connecting. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the thing was going to all the music stores that were available back then. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of stores. And every music store was in, like, a little different town outside of KC. Right. So I had to learn it that way. Was Explorers around then? Oh, yeah. 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 Now, oh, when I got there, you know, the thought of a... Man, of a drum shop like that. Yeah. Yeah. Even though Brook May's Pro Shop back in Dallas, that was a huge thing for uh-huh. me. But a place totally dedicated. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. I I've, couldn't believe it. I've said it on the podcast many times before, and I'll say it again. I think Explorers Percussion is one of the great drum shops in America. Yes. I think it's up there with Forks Drum Closet. Right. And Rupp's in Denver. Right. And, you know, and like any of the great drum shops, I think Explorers is one of them. 34 years in business. Wow, man. man. Yeah. Man. Yeah, that's that's cool. Wes, Wes still yakking away behind the counter. Yes, he is, man. <laughs> you know, everybody that's anybody, man, they all call him yeah. for stuff. And, um, yeah. So, be, you know, living here for the first time and getting to see that place, oh, I tried to make all the trips I could. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
So you're three years with Billy Goat, right? And what what happens after that? Billy Goat's done, but what, what's the see? Billy Goat for me ended in June of 1997. I'm pretty crazy with dates, so <laughs> hey, that's that's a good yeah, thing. I live by the calendar, <laughs> but uh, and die by the calendar. There you go, exactly. <laughs> so you know, just to back up a little before that, because it's funny how things transition. In mm-hmm. February '97, I got an offer to uh, teach at Kansas City Drum Works. If you remember that place, 18th and McGee. I don't. That they were making custom drums. Okay. Yeah, Kansas City Drum Works. Okay, yeah. And uh, Jim Riley, who's now the drummer for Rascal Flats. Right. I was taken over for him wow. from his recommendation and from Mike Dillon's recommendation. Mm-hmm. So when I was off the road, I could go to work, yeah. teach some uh, students, work retail at the place. Yeah. So that was starting to take off. Billy Goat ends. Now I got to really bring in some income the students just start piling up and i started teaching man just teaching a lot yeah you know really trying to get that down right not something i wanted to do Mm -hmm. you know i wanted to be back on the road man that's that's what i love (laughs) that's what i love but you know i did the teaching thing man yeah and And you still do right yeah, yeah 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 that's crazy man it's 20 years so had you taught before that very briefly in Dallas, just a little bit, just showing people things here and there. You yeah. know, I had a friend who was like, man, what's this advanced funk studies? He's like, oh, man, check it out. Yeah. You just got to learn the language. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, little things like that. But then to just outright teach a person, you know, it, made me, yeah, yeah. it made me go back and think, how was this presented to me? Yep. How can I make it easier so this person can get it? Yep. Yep. Jan talked about that. Like, I mean, he, he just loves kids to begin with. But right. another reason he loves teaching is that it's it's constantly making him work on the basics, on the fundamentals. Over um, and over. Yeah. 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 So, what, I mean, what what's your mindset going from 250 dates a year touring drummer to full-time teacher? Man, I was shocked. You know, it's very glad to have the job. Yeah. But was missing traveling. Mm-hmm. And... Along that time, I would get a couple of fly dates here and there. Right. But it's like, oh, man, this isn't enough. I got to I gotta play, man. I got to just get out and play more. And then that finally presented itself again with an R&B funk soul band, um, Simplexity. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you ever remember hearing about them. They were before my time, too. (laughs) Okay. I would go check them out when I would come home from uh, the Billy Goat tours. Okay. And then to get asked to... Hey man, well, we need you to sub, and that subbing just turned into a a four year run. Man, that's how it always happens. Yeah, I can't tell you how many cats we've talked to who like their you know their current gig or the all the gigs they've ever had started from subbing. You know, once in a while we'll talk to someone who went to an open audition uh-huh. and won the gig, but. Man, more often than not, it's it's like you start subbing either on just a one time or on a kind of regular basis, and uh, it's just it's amazing. To, and me too. I mean, my, all my gigs have come from like first you sub and then you're the guy. There you go. Um, yeah, there you go. So okay, so you're subbing in Simplexity. Yeah, and that um, I subbed for five days, and it, it was really misfortunate. The, the drummer at the time um, he lost his father, so he had to deal with all that. Yeah, and he just never came back to the band. 
Oh. Yeah. Not, now that I don't know why. For whatever reason. Yeah, he never came back, right? <laughs> yeah. And I was there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love how you just throw your hands up. You're like, I don't know why. Yeah. I, don't, I just said yes to gigs. That's... See, yeah. And I understood. It's like, okay, I could lose this gig any moment. Right. So, but I'll stay on it until I lose it. Yeah. Yeah, I was there until the end of the band. And that band, we played a lot. You know, within the city, and we went out of town a couple of times. Uh-huh. And I'm like, okay, I'm playing. I'm not traveling as much as I want to, but I'm playing. Right. So, okay, I, I will deal with this. And is it original stuff, cover band? Or like- it, it was a cover band, just uh, R&B, funk, soul tunes. Yeah. But here's the thing that's great about it. The way the band started out, they were a fusion band. But that wasn't paying any money, right? you know. So they learned all the old funk, R&B, soul covers. But... The transitions from tune to tune, they used a fusion touch. Uh, now I'm like, hey, okay, I'm, I'm getting a little satisfaction here. Yeah. So I can stay in the pocket, pocket here, but now, oh man, the transition to this tune, I get a little moment. Right. Yeah. Right. And then just just for a little moment. Yeah, a little and moment. Then, and then we're back into. Yeah, Steve. we're back. Yeah, we're back. Yeah, we're back into it because <laughs> you don't want to lose the dance floor. Yeah, man. Yeah, you don't want to do that. So not only the fusion part had to be happening, it had to groove. Mm-hmm. So the audience wouldn't go, well, what was that? So you learn how to groove that stuff yeah. and set up the next tune. Right. Then you get a couple of people in the audience going. Man, that was a Brecker Brothers thing, right? Or hey, hey, man, Maynard Ferguson. Like, yeah. Okay, you're listening. Right. Yeah, right. man. You so just quote stuff. You just quote famous lines and put a groove behind it, and then maybe play the part rhythmically behind the drum kit, yeah. which is the cue saying, "Okay, we're to the next song." Right. Yeah. Right. 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 So did, was was uh, was playing those R and B tunes. You know, for the dancers, something you had to adjust to after being with Mike Dillon. And, you know, all this kind of no-holds-barred... Right, I had to adjust to it, right. Was which, that, which it was a good adjustment. Yes, it yeah. always is. Yeah, it was a good adjustment. <laughs> I've done yeah. it myself. And just just lay it down. If you got feet tapping, heads bobbing, you're doing your job. Yep. Keep the floor going. Yep. And we even took it a step further, man. You know how some bands play a song, stop. Play a song, stop. Yeah. Chance to lose the dance floor, uh-huh. man. We would the first set would be like an hour and a half straight or two hours straight yeah. of nonstop music. Yeah, there was no set list; it was called on the fly. Wow! So you had to pay attention, be sharp, mm-hmm. and you just had to know all the tunes, which I had to learn all their arrangements on the spot. Right? Yeah. Right. So if I missed something that very first night, I couldn't allow myself to miss it the second night. Yeah, and you just keep growing that way to get ahead of it. And no charts, no was, charts on that. Yeah, yeah, just listen and go. Did you ever record yourself or like? Um, not in the beginning, but other people started recording, and then you know that that's a beautiful thing when you hear it. Then you go, okay, play that. Never play that again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Col- column A, never again. Yeah, column B, yeah, always. Yeah, this works. <laughs> <laughs> This works, so yeah. I just kind of embraced that and ran with it. Yeah, yeah. And um, we had a good run in Simplexity. Then the band changed into a band called Karma, even though I, I heard of Karma. That I'm, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that um, 
that just played the same thing, mm-hmm. and we just tried to really get the show happening. Dance steps up front, yep. you know, the suits, yep. all that kind of thing, and just delivering a great show. Still, you know, you got to have the music because no music, no show. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we just ran with it, man. For how long? That ended uh, in 2006, so that was a four-year run. So wow. for me, Simplexi was a four-year run, and then Karma was a four-year run. But in between it all, uh, Mike Dillon comes back into my life. Uh-huh. He starts a band, Mike Dillon's Go-Go Jungle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now I'm like, okay, I get to do this, but I get to go on the road. So I had to get subs for the Karma gig. Right. Yeah. Right. Because now I get to be in freak-out mode. And that was just the trio with um, bass guitar, mm-hmm. drums, and Mike's vibraphone and percussion. Right. So he's the chord changes. He's the melody. Man, yeah. What a mad scientist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's when he started experimenting with the pedals. And, man, it, it we had a good run with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, up until, up until this point, you've been kind of a serial monogamist with bands. Right. Like, you didn't get to Kansas City. Because, I mean, I got to Kansas City. I got out of school, or even when I was still in school. And I just I started playing with as many people as possible, and I wasn't really a member of of any set bands for a long time. Like I ended up being Shea Estes's drummer right. for a long time, and I was the drummer in Stan Kessler's uh, Horoscope, the Horace Silver tribute band. Oh, cool! I did that for a while, but a lot of it was like freelancing. So did I mean? Did you ever? go into that side of the scene or did you always have a steady thing where I'm the guy this is my gig I had a steady thing I had like steady things (laughs) so I I got this R&B funk soul band going but on a Monday night nothing's happening Mm -hmm. so there's my chance to play a little jazz gig which I did down at Tom Foolery's Plaza yeah 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 so there you go I get to do that Mm -hmm. so I was always doing something away from my norm on nights off. Yeah. Yeah. Just wanted to play. I even led my own band at one point, the No Rules Ensemble. Uh-huh. Yeah. And we just went for stuff. Cool. cool. <laughs> yeah. So it, that was uh, my mentality, man. Yeah. Yeah. Work, work, work. And so, I mean, Mike Dillon and people like Brad Cox and Jeff Harshbarger. Yes. Uh, you know, I think you know, Kansas City is thought of as a straight ahead jazz town. And it is, or straight ahead blues town, right? And it definitely is that. But there's also a huge contingent of experimental music. I think, especially in the last 15 years, you are correct. Um, but but I mean, before before we get to that, like when you got to Kansas City in the 90s, did did the jazz heritage, did the blues heritage, like make an impression on you? Did you start investigating that legacy of, of Kansas? I, I City? I started investigating the blues heritage because. Um, you know, we had a great club here, the Grand Emporium. Yeah, I remember that. And Monday nights were like the rock nights. Right. But the weekends were about the blues, uh-huh. you know. and It was right there on Main, right? Yeah, 39th and Main. Yeah, yeah. And man, uh, Roger Neighbor had a way of just bringing in talent. Uh-huh. And you start seeing these names that you hear from your childhood. You know, you hear Rufus Thomas. You know, you hear Albert Collins. Uh-huh. And you're like... Oh, this happens here. This is the place. Right. Okay. So if I ever get a weekend off, I just need to show up here because there's no telling who I was going to see. And that's how it was, man. And then you start hearing about um, the local blues scene, the the, uh, IBC, International Blues Challenge. Right. And now I'm starting to learn about the local players in that scene uh-huh. and you know pretty cool man a lot of a lot of heritage there yeah so that seeps in but then you got this thing 18th and vine mm-hmm. 
And to hear that Count Basie spent some time here. Yeah. And I got to see his ghost band. I was in high school. Got right. to see uh, Fred Green on guitar. Yep, he was still man, doing it, man. Man, and he was, oh. And uh, Thad Jones was there. Uh, Butch Miles on drums? It wasn't Butch. It was something Duffy. Mm. Duffney. Oh, I'm, I'm blanking. But yeah, it was it was cool, man. man. And to, to hear, okay, like I get to see the ghost band, but to hear that Count actually spent time here. Yeah, started the band here, basically. And it's like, wait a minute, so jazz is here? And you look at, you pay attention to the map finally. It's right. Like, Kansas City's in the middle. Okay. It's all, it has to come through here. Yeah. This is a... This is a major thing. This yeah. is a major city. You got to come through here one way or another. Yeah. So you start getting into that side of it, and man, yeah, it's like jazz. Yeah. And I talked with Jan. I think it was Jan. I talked with about uh, how, like, if if you go far back enough in Kansas City music history, like the jazz and the blues are like the same music. Yeah. If you get back to the '30s, and there was like Jay McShann and Big Joe Turner, you know, it wasn't. It wasn't the the Delta Blues that was right. coming out of Mississippi, and it, it wasn't like the the big band jazz yet that Count Basie was doing. Like it wasn't that elegant thing yet. It was this jump blues, like greasy party music that was well, well said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> greasy party music, late hours. Man. Yeah, and see, jazz was the first thing I ever studied on the drum kit. Was it? You, you like had, when you were a little? Yeah, you kid? had you had to. Man. You play snare drum. Uh-huh. You get good enough on that. Okay, you got 20 drummers. I want to play drum set. So the teacher, who was, his name is Dean Hill. Amazing. You would have thought that any instrument he picked up, that was his main instrument. Wow. Yeah. I mean, he played flute with authority. He played yeah. clarinet with authority. You know, all the brass stuff. Now he gets on the drums and, oh yeah, this is my thing. This is what I really love to do. Like, <laughs> wow, couldn't tell. Yeah. So, but... You got 20 drummers, want to play drum kit. So what does he say? Okay, all right. You're going to learn jazz first. And, you know, 15 run away. Right, and we're down yeah. to five. <laughs> and it's like, okay. So in my mind, I'm like, okay, I'll put my hand up because I really want to play the drum kit. But his reasoning for that is the vocabulary you get. Not long, I mean, you know, with the coordination and all that stuff, but the vocabulary you get with jazz drumming because mm-hmm. you can apply that. Yeah. Yeah, you know, in any situation, man, you can think differently. Totally, and yeah. the, like the you know, all jazz drummers have big ears. Like playing jazz just makes your ears big, and it's it's not just like what you play physically, but it's right. kind of the musical brain and the musical antenna that you then bring to anything else you right. play. Yeah, a big emphasis on listening. Yeah, big emphasis. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, that's that style of music has always been near and dear to my heart, man. I mean, of course. I got to stay up late to watch uh, Johnny Carson because you right. can see Louis Belson, you can see Buddy Rich or, and or Max, and Max Roach. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. he's just playing a hi hat, but that's really cool. Uh-huh. Then you see him behind a drum kit and go, "Oh, well, yeah." So, right, you, you see those elements, man, and they they become a part of you. And it's interesting how you said, like, you you raised your hand because you're like, I I want to play drums, so I guess I'll learn jazz. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that was the choice that was put in front of you. And I I did a similar thing. Like I when I was in high school, like early in high school, I had garage bands and I was playing death metal and whatever. And, <laughs> and then I got I got into the high school jazz band um, and just started studying that a little bit. But by the time I got to college. Like I didn't for for whatever reason I didn't have the wherewithal or the motivation or the confidence to pursue drum set opportunities outside of college, right? Because I was I was learning marimba, I was doing all this uh, classical stuff, right? Um, so in college, 
jazz was, you know, my vehicle for drum set. It's like if I want to keep playing drum set, I'm going to play jazz. And, and that ended up being like my path for a long time. And it's only in the last five years or so that I've kind of left the jazz behind. I, you know, I still play, I'll take any opportunity to play a jazz game, right. but in the last five years, I've, I've had to kind of realize that, that my, my jazz path was because of that. It was so I could keep playing drum set, you know, and, and it wasn't necessarily because I wanted to play only jazz for the rest of my life. Right. You man. know, so in, uh, in, during the time I was in LA and especially the time I've been in Atlanta, I've like refocused, <laughs> you know, away from jazz and back onto the stuff that I started playing in the first place. Very um, cool. Not the death metal, but you know, <laughs> my mom's rock records that I would play along with and, right on, and country and funk and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so did you, um, I forgot where we were going with that. We were talking about playing jazz and, oh, so when, did you play jazz in Kansas City? Or I did. It, I got to play jazz Monday nights at uh, Tom Foolery's. Right. Yeah. Okay. And was that a jam session or just like? Uh, you would let people come in and sit in that could play. Yeah. But it was, it was a band. Who played with you? That was uh, Mark Sutherland. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. He Speaking kinda, of experimental music. Yeah. Holy he pushed shit. me into it. Yeah. He pushed me into Oof. it. And, um. This guy named uh, Thomas on bass. Okay. And we were just like the Sonny Rollins trio, just tenor sax, wow. bass, and drums. Man. Yeah. With Sutherland only. <laughs> yeah, Sutherland, yeah. Which, you know, he 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 can jazz it up hard. But oh, man. Of course, there's that experimental side, yeah. which he would jam with Dylan oh, and, yeah. and on some things. And, man, they, it, it was crazy. It was right. good, man. Right. So I got to do that on Monday nights. That was fun. And people came out. People came out, yeah. yeah. You know, your friends will come out, then yep. other people come out, and yeah, it just started happening. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's that's good to hear, because, like, I mean, that was still in the 90s, right? Yeah, that was still in the 90s. So, Correct. I mean, I think of, you know, Bobby Watson uh, started at the jazz program at UMKC in, like, 2001, I think. Um, and I, I always kind of think of that as like the beginning of, of the new era in Kansas City jazz. More experimental, more original stuff, okay. you know, less of the traditional straight ahead. But, I mean, it's, from what you're saying, it sounds like the the appetite for experimental music and original music and the non-straight ahead thing was here quite a while before it that. It was here, man. Yeah. I mean, on that jazz gig, you know, Mark would pick out some cool standards like um, Oleo, mm-hmm. things like that. But then he picked out this thing, um, Calling All Demons, I think that's the name of it. It was yeah. a Sun Ra tune. Right. So now we can, like, freak out a little bit. Not too much to lose people at Tom Fooleries, but yeah. just a little bit. Yeah. But the people that were really digging it, they were like, well, man, let us know what time that part starts because we really like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But even if Mark Sutherland, I mean, if somebody like Mark Sutherland plays Olio, it's it's just not going to be straight ahead. Oh, no, no, no. It's going to be. No, no, he he put his own thing to it, man. Yeah. Um, Yeah, we, you know, we play the head to beginning, play the head to end it, all in the middle. He's, He's elsewhere, man. Yeah. yeah. It's like, okay, hang on. Let's go. <laughs> Strap Let's in. Go. Yeah, man. Get on, so get on that, the Sutherland ride. That was good, man. That, that was a good time period to yeah. do all that. So I was mainly just trying to stay busy. I mean, I can remember like nine gigs in a row, Yeah, you know, or maybe two days off, and then you'll have five gigs in a row. I was just trying to play everything, man, just mm-hmm. be a part of everything so I wouldn't be known as, well, he's this kind of guy. He's that kind of guy, right? Right. You know, um, what like what what kind of guy do you think people think of you as now? Man, um, right now, I think people think I'm a I'm a blues guy, and 
I'm, I'm not a traditional blues guy. Yeah. You know, probably a hard rock blues guy. Right, right, right. You know, but um, just last night, well, not last night, Sunday night, we did this Purple Jam thing, which is a tribute to Prince. Uh-huh. And then we also did tributes to others, other musicians that passed. And I was all over that, and people mm-hmm. were like, I didn't know you could play that stuff. It's like, yeah, I grew up listening to it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I never stopped listening to any particular style of music, no matter what I'm involved with. Right. Yeah. Right, right. You know, if anything, if I'm in a if I'm in a rock situation, I'm probably listening to more R&B. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm in a blues situation, I'm listening to fusion, funk, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's another cool thing about about. Kansas City and places like that. I've, I've found it in Atlanta, and and I think a lot of other second tier cities are like this, where drummers and musicians um, don't don't get boxed into a certain thing. I felt like in LA, um, you know, there there are tons of opportunities to play tons of different music, but um, it's it's hard to get around to them all, right? Because if it, like if you want to do three or four different kinds of things you got to get in line behind five guys who only do one thing and that's their thing. And they came to LA to do their thing. You know, (laughs) that was, that was my impression of it. But I feel like in a place like Kansas city, it's like, you know, you just spent a few years touring with Samantha fish, like one of the biggest, baddest blues acts around, but somebody still thought of you like, we're doing this Prince thing. Let's get go, go on it. There you go. (laughs) There you go. Exactly. Nobody said like, Oh, go, go just does blues. So I brought up Samantha Fish. So let's let's talk about let's that, jump into that, that gig. Uh, when did that start? Uh, official start date September twenty eighth, twenty eleven. Well, you are good with the date. <laughs> and and was that another? How did that come about? Was that another thing um, you started subbing she, with her? Or? You could say that I did two sub shows for uh-huh. um, her debut CD on the Roof Records label, Runaway. Uh, came out, I believe, in June 2011, mm-hmm. and she needed a drummer to, I guess, do the do the tours, you know, to be her drummer, to mm-hmm. listen to the music and play it as is. Um, someone dropped my name to her, and of course, she gets online, and all the stuff you find is probably um, a, co- uh, a 90s cover band I was a part of right. that played everything from the 90s. Right. So... You find videos like that, and then that Roland V Drum competition. Oh yeah, I gotta ask you. About oh that. boy, yeah. yeah. Okay. We're gonna we're gonna get <laughs> yeah, to that. Yeah. She, you know, she finds that, and she just sees me going off, and you know, in her mind, well, can he play a shuffle? <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's right. like, well, yeah, I can, I can do that. So she drops off a CD at Explorers Percussion, mm-hmm. and then um, I was doing a jam at Danny's Big Easy, and. Oh, yeah, down there on 18th of August. Right. Yeah, yeah, okay. And then she uh, came out, and we played one song together. I guess that was just to fill me out, uh-huh. and I'll basically just follow her. Right. And then um, she threw out two gigs, say, hey, I need you to sub on this and this, so did it. And after the first gig, she said, thanks for listening to the CD, but we don't play it like that anymore. But I think by me listening to it was a good thing. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I've been through the same thing where, like, uh, you know, you, you, you get the songs, you do your homework, you learn the shit, and then you do it on the gig. Mm-hmm. And then after the gig, they're like, you, you did your homework. I really appreciate it. Now do something different. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then after that second gig, um, she just said, okay, you're the drummer. Wow. Here are the tour dates. 
And there was only three dates I couldn't do with her because I, I was already booked to go to uh, Winter Nam in uh, January 2012. Yeah. So and Jan subbed on those. Oh, cool. Fair cloth. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> so and yeah, you know, since then I've just been I've so, been on the gig with her. So had she done touring before? Oh, that? oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. So she had been doing it. Yeah, she's been doing it, man. I gotcha. Yeah. Um. So that so that was. Your main gig for like five years. That was the main kind of gig. Forsaking all of five this. years, three months, three days. And so, and and did you kind of know what you were getting into? Like, you're going to be the guy. You're not going to do much else. You know? I really didn't know what I was getting into. I just knew that um, she was um, doing cool things, and I'm like, okay, I'll dedicate myself to this. Yeah. And then it just started changing slowly. Uh-huh. You know, there's more out of town opportunities and people paying attention and you know she would just call up and tell me okay we're doing this 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 oh yeah by the way do you have a passport it's like yeah we're going to romania it's like yeah, yeah cool all right all right cool for a blues fest right yeah and then there's just more overseas opportunities and just started touring the states heavily and yeah up in the Canada and it just got it just took off man yeah yeah she had something really special and um when she won that uh best new debut artist at the BMAs the Blues Music Awards mm-hmm. it seems like uh-oh something's right. happening heads turned yeah 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 so you, you joined the band in 2011 mm-hmm. um but before that like you talked about going to the Grand Emporium to to see blues music you're kind of like versing yourself in Kansas City blues right and so had before that had you already been playing with other blues acts had I played been... with Brody Buster oh right okay, yeah, I cool. played with him and, so um, you're doing Knuckleheads and Grand Emporium and, and with him it was Grand Emporium and man we he took us out of town on a couple of cool things because yeah. you know he was well established uh-huh. yeah and his blues you know he was getting into that <clears throat> that funky rock blues man right. yeah but then, you know he would throw in some cool shuffles like Okay, we're not going to do a medium shuffle. We're going to do a very up tempo shuffle, uh-huh. that type of thing. Yeah. And he taught me the flat tire shuffle. Yeah, <laughs> you know, because he was like, "Yeah, man, this song is a uh, has a flat tire shuffle." I'm like, "What is that?" And he sung it to me. And then he said, "Just imagine you got this car, man. You got three wheels that are round, and you got one wheel that's oval." <laughs> like, yeah. Okay. Could do. Could do. Could do. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. So he taught me that. <laughs> I, had a, I had a big band director when I was at Ball State in Indiana. It was this guy named Larry McWilliams, and he was from uh, Florida. He was like from the swamp in Florida, and uh, we we did a shuffle chart for the first time in the big band, and he stopped and, and he turned to me and was like, Zach, um, I, I want to, I'm trying to explain like how the shuffle style is, you know, like in the, in the big band setting, he always said that in the big band setting, he was like, you know, the shuffle style is like a, like a, I don't know, like a three legged camel, you know, and, and the camel's going one way and, and the hump's going the other. And, uh, you know, just like that, like that, like that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Got it. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> and great, great way to explain it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, with, with Samantha, man, it was, um, you know, lots of uh, learning her material and like some of her cover tunes on the spot, mm-hmm. and 
then you know all of a sudden she's getting ready for another CD. Yeah, and it's like okay, it's gonna be some more stuff to learn because the touring band didn't record. Right, I yeah. was wondering about that. Yeah, touring band didn't record. Producers picked their own people. Did they pick? Did they record it here? Where did they do it? Oh man, she was out of town a lot. Yeah. Um, man, I, let's see the debut CD, Runaway, that was done over in Germany. Oh wow! Yeah. And That's a long way to make a record, man. She was already over there. Oh, well, okay. Because, you know, she was part of that thing called Girls with Guitars. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. that kind of, they put her in the middle, and that just kind of blew up for her. Right. Yeah, and right. each of those girls got individual deals, and, you know, it just worked out really well for her. Yeah. And since she was already over there, they said, oh, well, you're going to do your CD now. Right, so, right. That kind of thing. Uh, the second CD, Black Wind Howlin', that was done somewhere in Louisiana. I know the studio, I think Dockside Studios, mm-hmm. somewhere near a swamp. Mm-hmm. So she had to go there for that. And then that last CD, um, what was the name of that one? Wild Heart. Yeah. She did that at a couple of places, man. Mm-hmm. You know, Louisiana, somewhere in Tennessee. Right. Yeah. And did she you, also went to Mississippi as well. Okay, like down to, or no, Muscle Shoals, <clears throat> Alabama. Have you seen that Muscle Shoals documentary? Yeah. Oh, I'm a huge documentary fan. Yeah. I love that one. Dude. <clears throat> yeah. It's so cool. It's so yeah. cool. Yeah. I love how the some of the main artists didn't know what they were getting into. Right. And when they saw the band, they're like, what? Right. And you hear them, you go, yeah. oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I want those black boys that played with Wilson Pickett. or No, Wilson Pickett. Right. I want those black boys. That's yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. Yeah. Those are the cats. There you go. Um, so, do you, do you know who the drummers? Well, obviously, you know who the drummers were on those other. Jamie players. Little for Runaway. Uh, of course, Young Rico for Black Wind Howlin'. I didn't realize he was on. Black. Okay. Yeah, that was him. Yeah. yeah, that's him all the way. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then for Wild Heart, um, two drummers. Brady Blade, Brian's brother. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, Brady. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Brady, man, he locks it in and just hits you right in the middle of the chest and your eyes, man. He's, he's great. <laughs> Good. Then um, she had this other drummer on that CD, uh, Sade. Sade Thomas, I think is her name. Hmm. She did two cuts on there. Okay. So, you know, you look at it. I just mentioned four drummers. That's four personalities behind the drum kit yeah. I have to learn and recreate yeah. but still add my thing to it. How'd so you do that? <laughs> I You listen to what's there yeah. and man, we stayed on the road a lot and you know, if you play something a lot it, it evolves. It, by itself. <laughs> yeah. It just, ha- yeah. 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 So man, just like, just different arrangements maybe, okay, I'll take these three drum fills from you and Rico. I'll do something different here because mm-hmm. you and Rico left some space to do something there. Yeah. Now, the thing is what to do, what not to do. And you just trial and error and then you find things that work and just stick with right. it. And it those was, things become cues. Was this a conversation between you and Samantha or did she just say, don't you know, leave me hanging, just I was, do something? I was playing and then she, you know, she'll say, okay, don't do that. Yeah. Uh, more of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. What what does uh, what does Samantha and and what do the other singers you've played with like what what have you found they need? This is uh, something we talk a lot about on the podcast is playing behind singers and and kind of just filling their list of needs. Right. With, with Samantha, she just wants you to be there. It's basically for her the simplest beat possible. Really? Yeah. If you listen to the recordings, the beats are not complicated. Uh-huh. Yeah. So. 
just simple and definitely don't do anything fusion <laughs> oriented. Don't don't do that. Yeah, you know, and that's it. And of course, with her, when she sings, bring it down. Uh-huh. Yeah, dynamics. Right. Right. Yeah, bring it down. Now in the funk soul R and B cover band, that lead singer. Bring it down when he says bring it down, but other than that, keep it up. Huh. And if his hands are doing something, accent, accent yeah. with him. When he steps a certain way, accent with him. Mm. You know, do all the drum feels you want to, but when you see my hands move, you see me dancing, that, that's got to be there with me. Yeah. 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 So basically, I'm staring at him all night. Wow. And I've learned to uh, learned his body language. Right. Yeah. It's like playing in the circus, man. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Um, I was talking with somebody about uh, playing in Cirque du Soleil. Um, oh, wouldn't that be great? Yeah. It, it. But it's it's the same thing. Like it's modern music. It's all this stuff. But they're still having to catch all these tricks. It's like we. I mean, in in a certain way, we really haven't evolved out of vaudeville. Like, <laughs> right. Whether it's that singer you're talking about or, or Cirque du Soleil or whatever, like we're still kind of playing the same roles that we played in vaudeville. Like, you know, catch the flip on the thing. Right, catch and it. And bring, right. bring it down when you're not supposed to be the center of attention. And, you know, uh, yeah. And there's been other situations, man. Um, you know, with certain rock bands, just high energy, keep it up, mm-hmm. keep it going. I got to spend some time in the cameo camp. In the cameo, that? the art, the funk soul R and B band cameo. Oh right, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I got to sub for uh, Jonathan Sugarfoot Moffat. Dude, really? Yeah, yeah. Man, got to sub for him. And uh, Larry Blackman is the leader of that uh-huh. band, and he's the drummer yeah. on the recordings. And dealing with him, you know, he just set me to a side. You know, know the parts, and you know, we don't need the over the top drum fills. You just need the parts. Watch me, mm. and I count everything off. That's Larry. He'll look at you five, six, seven, eight, and you, you got to be there. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Yeah. And that was, uh, man, that was just so much fun to be a part of that because I, I grew up listening to them on yeah. the radio and to play all their hits, man. That was crazy. Like the 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 uh, stereos coming to life right there, man. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm right there in the middle of it. So that was his demands. Even on a ballad, play hard. Huh. Yeah, play hard. Yeah, <laughs> break the band down, but keep the drums up. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah, and that was he's like, wow, but you're you're singing, but okay. Yeah. So I, basically, I have one level. Right. <laughs> one level, man, right, and one right. cranked up, thin piccolo snare. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting about ballads because, like, it, you know, of course, our instinct, hopefully on a ballad is to bring everything down, play quiet or make it more mellow. But it, it's, it's so easy for a ballad to turn into just like soupy, uh, you know, nothingness where there's just no time. Right. Like even if it's, even if it's a slow pulse or a gentle pulse, it still has to be a firm, strong pulse. Um, that I'm going to, next time I play a ballad, I'm going to see if I can dig into this little man. I I was surprised that I had a, you know the, the freedom to do that. Just, just play one level, play yeah. hard from start to finish. Yeah, I'm like okay, all right. It was fun. Yeah, you know I got to sub for uh, Mark Trojanowski and Sister Hazel, uh-huh. and that was a cool gig. I got a last minute call, got flown out. I'm charting stuff right on the plane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and um, the first stop was New Orleans at the House of Blues. I walk in with my sticks, my chart. I'm going to play Mark's kit. 
I set my pages there. The band looks at me. I look at them. Like, okay, ready, ready. They call off the, the tune. I play it. Then they look back at me. Guess you know what you're doing. Like, I'm with you. Because <laughs> yep. I, I took the time to write every little accent, every break. Yep. Yeah. I I studied. Got, yeah. Gotta read. Yeah. And then the next night, the gig was even better. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Of course. Yeah. But that's, I mean, it's in a situation like that, you know, people talk about learning to read. And and uh, they talk about it like one day you're going to end up in a big band and you're going to have to read your ass off and read the jazz chart and whatever. But that's that's not the only application no. to it. Like if you can write your own chart for yourself, um, that it's just it saved my ass a bunch of times. Man, I did that with the uh, '90s cover band I was with, and I mean, you're talking about something from pop to country to heavy metal to just straight up rock to rap to something soulful, something mm-hmm. funky. I wrote everything out. Yeah. Yeah. That was just to help me learn the songs quick. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah. And for bands like for bands that don't read, like I've showed up like you did, for a band that doesn't read, they don't have charts, you know, but you show up with your charts for their shit. And they're like, oh, he's taking this seriously. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's I, like, I don't want to be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't want to be that moment in the show like, yeah, that was all you. Right, yeah. right, right. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, it's going back to basics. Mm-hmm. Reading. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't think that was going to play a huge part, even though all those high uh, grade school years, college years, yeah, nothing but charts. Yeah. You get out in the real world, there was no charts, but then there was opportunities for charts. Right. And then when someone did stick a chart in front of you, you felt good. Yep. Like, I got this. Yeah. I got it. Yeah. So I didn't have to do any charts for Samantha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was, uh, it was pretty easy to get through it. Yeah. 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 There was a nice formula there. And then I think there was a I did write I did write one chart for her, but we never played the song. <laughs> we never played it. She was like, "Oh, he's probably going academic on this one, man." Because <laughs> you know it was something she thought about doing at the last minute. It's like, okay, I'll listen to it and wrote it out. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, "Yeah, we're not going to do that." It's like, okay, well, I was ready. <laughs> <laughs> right, I was ready. I felt good about the readiness. This one. Is all. Um, so you were with Samantha for five years. Yeah. Touring hard. Touring hard. All over the world. Man, everywhere. It was crazy. Man. Crazy good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, every year or so, you're having to learn a new record. Yeah. And Yeah. Definitely. You know, new tunes. And, and then, of course, she could always go into the back catalog, stuff she played a lot in this part of the career, and say, hey, well, we're going to bring that one back. Why don't you give that a listen? Mm-hmm. Like, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So when when was the time to leave and why? Man, to be honest, and a lot of people, I, I, they either understand this, and I saw the writing on the wall about a year ago. Huh. Yeah, because things were just changing. Mm-hmm. You know, the image was changing. Um, didn't know what direction she was going in until later. Musically? Yeah, yeah. which is, I think, they, they're labeling it like a Detroit rock soul thing. Uh-huh. And the band's bigger now because she got away from the trio. Right, Yeah, okay. they added keyboards and horns. Mm-hmm. And, man, things were just different. Mm-hmm. You know, the things that you were doing were not the things to do anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is outside people coming in giving their opinions, helping guide things. And, you know, the way the band was set up, you got the bass player stage left, she stage right, and I'm right in the middle. Mm -hmm. You know, there's only one way I know how to play. And that's just play it like you mean it. Yeah. You know, even with the showmanship stuff, which 
I dumbed that down quite a bit in her band. Mm-hmm. Like in the R and B funk soul band, it was encouraged. You put on a show while you're playing. Right. With her, <clears throat> it's her name. It's her thing. Do what you need to do to make her stand out. So, mm-hmm. and you know, there was points where drum solos was part of the show. Then that went away, and you know, it was like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, you know, bass <laughs> solos went away. Like, okay, we'll just lock it in. Right, and we'll give her something to stand. I always said that me and the me and the bass player Chris Alexander, we gave her something firm to stand on. Yeah, but then you know, man, just near the end, man, just I guess that wasn't good enough. Huh. You know, uh-huh. and. There was a meeting that took place after the New Year's Eve show, even though I kind of had a feeling New Year's Eve was going to be my last show, so that's why I wore a suit. <laughs> you know, you prep yourself for this. Yeah. And uh, yeah. there was a meeting that took place, and um, man, after that meeting, I just knew. It was like, yeah, done. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't a meeting to say, like, we're moving on from you. It was a No, no, I had a chance to stay on, yeah. but after... After how things were presented to me, uh-huh. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's that's it. Right. I, I was correct about the writing on the wall a year uh-huh. ago. Yeah. Yeah, so it was time to go. You can do as much or as little detail as you want, and we can edit this if there's stuff oh, you man, don't no, want to no, say. Oh, man, no, no, man. But we... the, the reason I want to talk about it is because, you know, virtually every drummer on this podcast has talked about losing a gig or leaving a gig or knowing when it's time to move on from a gig. Right. It's something that we deal with all the time, and sometimes you get fired out of left field and sometimes you have a band that you're really close with that you really love, but you you know that it's uh, it's that you need to do something else. It's funny how that works out, man. When you see, there's always outside people doing something, mm-hmm. but the ones that stand out, you're like, oh, what's this about? And when I saw that happening, it's like, okay, yeah, changes are coming, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay, I see this. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, the meeting was um, you know, it was um it was interesting. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the term I'll use. Yeah. And after that meeting, man, and I'm like, Yeah, okay, I know I'm done. Mm-hmm. And I just told her. And uh I think she was shocked mm-hmm. that I decided not to go on, but yeah, that's it, man. And yeah. it's funny, you're with these people for a while, then you're away from them, but I'm used to that with right. all the other bands. You're like you're here together for this time period, and at one, once you're done, you go to somewhere else. You're with right. another, and that's just how it is. So, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Uh, I, I listen to the the Mark Maron podcast all the time, the right. ATF, and every time he talks to an actor, he, he's like, you know, I have this impression of actors that if they're on a movie together, then they're friends forever. Right. You know. And, and, you know, once in a while, actors form a long friendship from having worked together. But most of the time, they're like, we were we were on that job together and we like we had fun together. We were friends, after, you know, but after the gig was over, we went on and did other shit. And like we just had that kind of on the job friendship. There you go. Right. And, right. Uh, and That's I think the best way to describe it. It's, and it's the same with musicians, like you're saying, you know, whether whether you're with a band for a few months or a few years, like you have this relationship in the context of being in that band. And sometimes it survives beyond that, but most times it's like you're you're in another thing, you're doing other stuff with other people, and everybody moves on. That's it, man. Yeah. And um, you know, I made the decision to split, and I haven't looked back. Good. Yeah. So what's next? That's the thing. You know, the future is unknown. Huh. So at the moment, it's lots of teaching. Uh-huh. There has been offers. There's been a lot of offers, man, yeah. but not the right offer. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, it's good to be in a position that you can kind of just sit back. 
and do some teaching and, and wait for the thing that you're really excited about to come along. Right, man. Um, you know, now it is weird being here all this time off the road because I love the road. Yeah. I love it, man. But I want to get in a situation where I'm wanted for me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, go, go, we want you because we want you for what you do. Yeah. Yeah. What yeah, you yeah. bring to the table. That's another thing we talk about all the time is like, you know, there, there are some gigs where you get hired to be you. Right. And there are some gigs where you get hired because you can do a thing. Yeah. They're yeah. like, we, we need this checklist of skills and, and uh, uh, you know, drumming capabilities or whatever. And there's a bunch of guys that have all those skills and you happen to be the guy for that one. So, but it's, it's great that you can, you can just kind of take your time. And it's, it's weird, man. But, um, it's, I mean, teaching is definitely paying the bills and, um, I'm behind a drum set six, six days a week. Yeah. 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 They're and, explorers. Uh, and, uh, you know, man, I played my last gig with her New Year's Eve and I haven't stepped foot on the stage until the day before Memorial Day. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But man, um, and was that a nice break or, uh, well, I like being, I like, I like playing. Uh-huh. I do. Yeah. So, it, but here's the funny thing. Uh, on the very first song that I played, <laughs> tortured the snare drum head. It just, it broke. Oh, I was like, man. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm back. Yeah. I'm back, baby. That's it, man. That's it. I so, love it. Yeah. Being away from the stage, you know, um, it's been too long, mm-hmm. but I'm patient. Yeah. Yeah. I'm patient, man. Teaching's been really fun. Um, <clears throat> adding a lot of students and you know what the challenge is every student's different so this guy's working on rudiments this guy's just trying to read yep. this guy's working on jazz this guy's dabbling in latin music this mm-hmm. guy's trying to really get funky this guy want to flat out rock this guy's like well man i want to pick your brain how do you know what to do you know why do you do what you do yeah. and all those things come back and mm-hmm. you have to you know do some soul searching like okay how did this come to me right you know how did i go about this yeah, yeah. so who did i steal this from exactly <laughs> i tell them i don't own any of it i don't own it man right, if right. i see something or hear something i like i'm going after it yep and what's cool is you know i give them those references i mean especially now with youtube yeah. internet and all that yeah. it's like man you can go back here's the source you love this band. You love this drum group because this drummer loves this drummer. Mm-hmm. Check out this guy. Try to tell him like the guy you really like. Find out their influences. Yeah, ancestry dot com yeah. of drumming. There you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that should be a thing. <laughs> yeah, man. How and when did you start referring to yourself as the drum counselor? That's a, that's a funny one, man. Um, when I started teaching. I had to advertise in the pitch. Uh-huh. And I'm as I was writing it out, I didn't want to write drum teacher. I didn't want to write drum instructor. Uh-huh. So I was like, counselor, that sounds good. <laughs> but man, did that blow up in my face. Because now, the students feel comfortable. If they just want to talk, mm. they tell me everything. Things they won't tell their friends, their parents. Mm-hmm. So now I'm this this place where you can vent yeah you know listen like you know a lot of my uh young female students man they'll they'll come in slam their books down go go why do boys suck (laughs) oh wow this is oh this is drums but oh man all right just tell me what's going on however you need to say it it. and then you try to give the best advice possible Mm -hmm. yes 
So, like the word the word counselor started as a little bit of a gimmick, but yeah, it, advertisement, right? But it, it quickly into a, it quickly evolved into kind of a, a teaching philosophy. Like we're not just going over rudiments. I can I can be a mentor to you and help you help you through shit other than drums. Exactly. Yeah. You know it. You know, drumming is a way of life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and this if you do these things behind the drum kit, you can apply this to your life. Yeah. Yeah. And have you had some students that you've had for like a long time? Oh, and man. And seen them through some some tough shit? Definitely, and they turned it around, and yeah. uh, they come back. It's funny how time flies, because you see them at a club, and you're like, you're not old enough to be in here. And it's like, go, I'm 22. It's like, oh, wow. <laughs> wow. And they'll share their stories. Like, man, thanks for all the advice, man. The lessons were great, but also thanks for the advice. Yeah. And they're applying it. And if they're going on to be teachers, they're using that. And it's just working. So that's kind of cool to see happen. Yeah. You know. That's very cool. Yeah, man. man. So, yeah, counseling, drum counseling. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Man, so I'm just going to stick with it because it's been 20 years now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, So... Before we uh, before we go, you were the winner of the 1992 Guitar Center Drum Off. Yeah, and, yeah. And the 2010 Roland V Drum competition. And I mean, this ties into teaching a little bit because I I'm cur- like for people who do those competitions, I've never done them. Like I did the individual competition in drum corps, right, and shit like that. But like the Guitar Center thing or the Roland V Drum, I've I've never really done that. Um, what do you what do you think about just the general idea of Music as a competition, man. It's really not a competition. It shouldn't be that, man. <laughs> Said the competition winner. I know, I know. I, I torture myself, yeah, yeah, and just to realize, like, oh man, why, why, why? I mean, it can be healthy. Yeah. I mean, the positives you can connect with some really cool people that you probably never would have met. Yeah. You know, I look at that side of it. You know, and especially now with all these reps and. Especially what Guitar Center is doing now with their competition. I mean, you can meet a lot of cool people, you know. So, yeah, yeah. winning is one thing, but walking away with the business cards and some solid relationships, that can go forever, man. That can work. Right, right. So, yeah, when I did the uh, Guitar Center thing, you got to realize that in 1992, um, that whole thing, it was just two stores in Texas. Guitar Center Dallas, Guitar Center Arlington. Mm. And... They took the top three from each store. That made the finals. Yeah, that was it. (laughs) Nothing glorious. That's it. Okay, you were number one out of six. Here's your drum kit. A standard uh, Premier Signia, because they were new, their Uh first maple kit. 12, 13, 16, 22. Here's a snare drum, five and a half. And then here's some cymbal stands. Here's the brand new Sabian AAX cymbals. Thank you. Yeah. All right. It's like, wow. And that was it. Right. Yeah. No press. None of that kind of thing. Right. Right. And no YouTube video. No YouTube. <laughs> You're not competing against other stores outside of Texas. Right. So that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I did it the year before in 91 uh-huh. and I uh, didn't even place wow. uh, me and a good friend of mine. And, um, Man, after that particular night, we went to go see Billy Goat. <laughs> it was like, man, man, okay, we didn't win, cool, but man, they starting in thirty minutes. We got fifteen minutes to get there. Yeah, yeah. yeah we can get on the side and watch Earl and Mike. <laughs> that kind of thing. Now the V drums thing. That's a funny story. People that knew me, man, they I didn't want to have a thing to do with uh, digital drums, mm-hmm. man. I, that just wasn't my thing. But um, I kind of got pushed into it. Mm-hmm. 
you know, this is when I was teaching the big dudes and, you know, the owner, Mark Dodd was like, yeah, you should do this, man. I was like, yeah, but I work here, so I can't do that. The rep at the time, uh, John Fedorko, he was like, yeah, man, you're a contract guy. So, yeah, you can do this competition. Mm. I was like, all right, all right. <laughs> so you had to make a three-minute video of just you on a drum kit doing whatever. And I turned mine in like probably five minutes before the deadline because I was just not wanting to do it. Mm -hmm. Turn it in, get an email. Hey, you're going to be in this competition. We look forward to having you. So the uh, preliminaries are held at Big Dudes. And there's supposed to be 16 drummers. Maybe eight showed up. And I didn't know a thing about V-Drums, mm -hmm. man. You know, I knew one patch. <laughs> and I just went for it. And there was right. this one guy that was there who really utilized the technology. Yeah. And uh, But I got the victory. And the judges were straight up with me. They said, man, great player. Your technology sucks. Learn the brain. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, I better listen. So now you see me tinkering around, learning how to use this machine. I go to the uh, regionals in Denver, Colorado. Mm -hmm. And it, it was supposed to be three of us. There was only two of us. One guy, I forgot what excuse he gave, but the reps were not having that. Mm -hmm. Uh, this guy, man, great use of technology. He just, whoa, yeah, man, had the foot switch, changing patches, just killer player. And then here comes me. Now I'm thinking, okay, I know the machine. Well, he had things set in a certain order, so I'm scrolling, and it's all out of order. Oh, shit. I was like, I don't even know how to reset this. Yeah. Okay, so as they're introducing me, I'm scrolling through stuff, and like, okay, I know this patch. And then right then and there... We use our improv skills. Yeah. Like, I'm just going to play, and uh, I'm just going to hit stuff randomly. So I'm playing, change the patch. You get about a second to hear that sound, and, okay, I'm going to change it to this groove. Uh, I can do feels with this cool thing. I just scrolled my way through it. Wow. And I walked off the stage going like, well, that was fun, so <laughs> I'm not going to advance. Right. And then the weirdest thing, man, I go to Denver. I'm the only person from Kansas City. I don't have no friends, no support. He's got his friends, his family. And, man, I was announced the winner. Mm. And I was like, oh, wow, that's crazy. That's crazy. Mm. And then, right then and there, I had to really take it seriously. Because now <laughs> we're going to the final. So now I'm studying this thing, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. I know how to reset it now. I can chain patches, which all comes into play. Because at the finals, man, I had a glitch during the solo. Mm -hmm. But luckily, I had a pad, the, uh, the uh, octopad. I had that going as a loop. Mm -hmm. And as I'm trying to fix the, the main brain, I'm playing stuff. That's not it. That's not it. I reboot the machine right then and there during the solo. Oh, my God. Yeah. And you, you, know, you had a five-minute time period. And, man, um, when I looked at the clock, two minutes left, I was like, okay. The way it started went well. The middle was not planned. And now I got to, things I did have worked out. Now I got to crush them in a short amount of time. And I just started going for it, man. So it became a competition turned into a gig. Because as you're playing, if something happens, as you know, you got to keep playing yeah. and repair on the spot. Yeah. So I'm out of competition mode. I'm in gig mode. Go right, for it. Right, right. And, you know, it was fun, man. I walked off the stage. And the first thing I said to other contestants, well, that'll never win. <sighs> And, you know, they looking at me, he's like, didn't you hear the crowd? They went crazy. He's yeah. like, 
Yeah, they're just being nice. And then I was announced the winner. Yeah. And that, I was shocked. Wow. Yeah. I wouldn't even go out on stage right away because I'm like, <laughs> they didn't say my name. Uh-huh. And the rolling people like, man, we've been here all day. Go get your yeah. award. You want to go home? Yeah. All right, I won. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And man, just like that overnight, you know, I, I dubbed myself the, the V-Drum villain because, man, <laughs> the YouTubers, the people on Facebook, they were hating, man. Oh, they hated me. Man. And I'm like, well, yeah, oh. I can't can't do nothing about that. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Let I, them hate. I tried to screw it up. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the players that were there, man, I mean, woo, serious. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, serious players. But this is an example of, like, being, you know, being in the competition – I mean, you know your way around a, a rolling V-drum kit now. Yeah. you know, Three months of intense training. I learned that thing inside out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So do you have students who are interested in doing those kind of competitions? They they do the uh, – because since they don't do the V-drums competition anymore, they're all about the, uh, the uh, guitar center competition yeah, yeah. and how to approach it. And, you know, I get to judge those things, and I think of my own experience, and I just try to tell them, it's like, man – the drum solo should tell a story. Mm-hmm. I give it to them that way. Just don't go up there and chop out hard for three minutes straight. You got to play a groove at some point, but yeah. you can't groove for three minutes straight because they won't like that. You got to mix it up, but it's got to be a cohesive story. Yeah. Yeah. So can you groove? Can you cover some styles? Do you have some chops? Do you have a little bit of flash? You know, do you have a, a an intro, an outro? Yeah. 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 Doug Allwater. Are you dynamic? Right. <laughs> Doug, Doug, you know Doug Allwater? Yes, I do. He yes. said a similar thing uh, just about improvising in general. And, and he said, you know, a, a, a drum solo should have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And it's it's the simplest thing. But I, you know, I never thought about it that way before he said that. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I had thought a long time about the, the drum solo being, it should tell a story. It should go somewhere. Right. It, it should start one place and end up another. But if if you think about it as like a beginning, a middle, and an end, you can you know assign certain boxes you got to check. You know, there's all kinds of different ways to organize it. Yes. In a beginning, middle, end uh, uh, format. Um, so, like, how how young are the kids doing the competition? Like, they what have now? different age brackets. Like, man, I think they let you in as early as. Um, 18 now. Oh, okay. Yeah, you can be 18. And maybe there's been a 17-year-old sneak through. Right. Yeah. Right. And there's, you know, there's some cool stuff happening, mm-hmm. you know. And But then it's the same thing. You hear people, oh, well, that guy won because he was there last year and didn't win. Right. You know, that guy was much, you know, it's like, man, all judges think differently. Right. You know, talk right. to the judges. No, he didn't Don't, win. He didn't win because he was here last year. He yeah, won because right. he's been practicing for a year. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> So, you know, I, I try to encourage the, the, the students to do it. You know, say, well, if you want to do it, do it. But uh, look, don't don't get hurt. Right. You know, don't get hurt. Let's, thick skin starts now. Yeah. If you don't place, now you got a year. Yep. <laughs> yeah, you got a year. Yep. And um, that, that seems to work for them. Yeah. And also, I think it's good for them just to get in front of people. So whenever totally. they get a gig, right? Okay, so okay, there's a crowd. No big deal now. Yeah, Nothing. yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a, another thing I didn't really think about. Is like we, we talk all the time about like take every opportunity you get to get in front of an audience. Exactly. Whether it's with a band or a competition or whatever, and and I would imagine for a lot of those young cats, the Guitar Center drum off is like kind of their first performance. It's their thing. You and 
Man, it's um, it's interesting because, you know, you can read people very well. You'll see the ones that are like, okay, they're comfortable. Uh-huh. You see the ones that he has all the talent, but, wow, the nerves just kicked in. Right. And, oh, now it's going through their plane. It's translating. Right. So there, there's some benefit to that. Get uh-huh. in there and just shake that off. And I tell them, the ones that don't advance, I tell them, it's like, there's nothing to it, right? And it was like, yeah, it's like, you can do that again, right? Yeah. You know there's going to be people there. Yeah, I was like, but you're not worried about that now. Now you can focus, right? Play the drums, mm-hmm. you know, express yourself, do your thing. Mm-hmm. So you know, that, that's a that's a good benefit for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, man, I I wish you the best of luck in this next chapter. Thank you, man. Whatever this chapter may be, I'm sure somebody is going to call on Gogo to be Gogo. I'm looking forward <laughs> to that because I think it's time for that. Yeah, you know? yeah. I just want to be me and not be restricted in a certain sense. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And and Kansas City is a good place to hang in the man, meantime. Man, Kansas City's been good to me, man. Yeah. You know, it um it took a foreigner in and embraced me, man. <laughs> I mean, I'm just a I'm just a Texan, man. I'm a <laughs> Dallas guy. And they embraced me yep. and you know, taught me about barbecue. Yeah, that's what Kansas City <laughs> taught does, me about man. barbecue, man. My wife and I are going to Joe's right after this. There you go. I go back home to Texas sometimes and say, yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. There's some Q up where I'm from. Some Q there. So, yeah, we'll see what happens, man. Yeah. You know, until until the big thing, whatever that may be, you know, I'm just going to enjoy life and just teach. And um, if there's an opportunity to play a gig or something, I may or may not do it. But, yeah. Yeah, we'll just hold out for the big thing and, you know, teach and just work on myself as far as learning stuff. Yep. You know, polishing up the drums. Yep. We'll be looking out for you, man. Right on, man. Appreciate that. Thanks for talking. Man, thank you. This has been fun. Another one of Kansas City's best, Go-Go Ray. Hope you dug that. I certainly appreciated his candor, and it was good to hear from someone who has lived the recent history of so many parts of uh, the Kansas City music scene. Once again, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash workingdrummer. We appreciate anything and everything you contribute to help support our efforts. Check back next week for Matt Krause's interview. Thanks to Mike Jackson for his technical assistance, and thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.